HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program has been brought to you by the International Culinary Center. Offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management. From culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit internationalculinarycenter.com. Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host, and we're back with an all-new, all-live Let's Get Real. I had to take a couple weeks off there to kind of regroup, get organized, get some new ideas, but now I'm back. And uh, while I was away, I, I, was, I was doing a lot of hiking. Well, I do a lot of hiking on the weekends in the summer. You know, I have this little teeny tiny speck of a house up north of here in an undisclosed location, little bungalow. And when we're up there on the weekends, we like to get out in the mountains and uh, walk up very steep hills for a couple hours and then walk down those hills and then go drink beer and grill some real food. It's a very like, it's very uniquely human activity, isn't it? Like, and, and kind of a developed world, really, activity that we intentionally do that. I mean, you don't like, you don't see other animal species just walking up hills for the fun of it. Or to get exercise. They don't choose to do that the way we do. There is no exercise for animals. They don't wake up on some mornings and think like, geez, I've been really lazy. I could really use a run today. I mean, maybe horses think that, but I don't know. But actually come to think of it, I don't think too many humans these days are thinking that either because based on my informal research done while walking through the throngs of potato people lining up outside M&M World in Times Square or waddling up and down the High Line like a scene from Wally with their slurpees in their hands I don't think people are intentionally exercising very much either I'm just saying anyway because I'm not content to hit 300 pounds and have to use a walker by the time I'm 50 I do a lot of exercise and I do a lot of hiking 
a lot of hiking. And a couple of years ago, my spousey and I got really into hunting for mushrooms. We kind of got on this thing about wild mushrooms. And so we started learning all about edible and non-edible and toxic species. And we got all into it. We got all mushroomy and all fungal. And since then, even though we've kind of lost interest in mushrooms, I still... I'm still interested, just not as much. But when I am out in the woods, I just constantly scan the ground looking for them. Now it's it's reflexive. I can't help it. And so when I'm in the woods, I'm always hoping to spot some kind of tasty edible species because I feel pretty secure in my knowledge of like four or five edibles that I can identify confidently. And so that's what I stick with. I only know those. I'm not going to risk it for a mere mushroom. I mean... Why take chances with my life that way? If I wanted to take those kinds of chances, I'd be eating at places like the Olive Garden. And in case you haven't noticed, the weather these past few years has been really, really odd. Did you not notice? Have you been living in a cave? Like we've had the hottest summers on records and the warmest winters and the wettest months and the driest decades in history. And it seems like all that so-called climate change that all my fellow liberals are screaming about may actually be true. And with all this wacky weather, the mushrooming actually hasn't been very good. Now, everybody said that last year, everybody, everybody who knows mushrooms said that last year was great. But we got almost nothing. We got, you know, bupkis with the mushrooms last year. So I don't know what they're talking about. But normally by this time of the year, we would be finding really good stuff like morels in May. And there'd be little chanterelles popping up now. And the bolites would be coming up. But on our hikes these days, this whole summer, nothing. Not a single morel this year. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. No fungal activity whatsoever. Not counting what grows on my husband's feet. But that's a different story. Up until two weeks ago, when we were out hiking on a Saturday, and at the very end of our hike, literally 20 feet from the end of the trail, I said to him, the spouse, it's early July and there is absolutely no fungal activity happening here at all, which I've been saying every weekend all summer. And then at that very moment, I happened to look down and I saw a gigantic, like, Toaster oven sized specimen of a Latiparous sulfurious, also known as a sulfur shelf, also known as chicken of the woods. The only thing around, the only fungal activity, and it was this massive edible chicken of the woods. And they're chicken of the woods, if you've never seen them, they're really beautiful. You can Google it right now. They're really beautiful in a kind of flashy LA trophy housewife kind of way. They don't taste like much. They're not really worth taking or eating. So I left it. But it was exciting. And some people would probably say, oh, you should take it and eat it because you found it. But, you know, I don't have to do that all the time. Now, you don't want to get these mixed up with hen of the woods, which are very delicious and appear often on hipster urban Brooklyn menus these days and can also be found in my same undisclosed forest location. Chicken of the woods are more like the Beatlemania of mushrooms, or they're more like Oasis, who were supposed to be the next Beatles, but were just kind of a disappointing second runner-up to the really prime species. So then we were hiking the next day somewhere else, and at the end of that hike, I said the same thing, because I've been with him a long time. I have nothing else to say, so I repeat myself all the time. So I said the same thing. 
it's mid-July and there's no fungal activity whatsoever except that chicken of the woods we saw yesterday. And then I looked down and there was another one, another gigantic chicken of the woods. And then this past weekend, the same exact thing happened again. I said it and there was one. It's like I called it into being. Now, the fungal activity is there, but it's very limited. And if I were kind of a more hardcore, locavore, Brooklyn mushroom person, I'd have cut them and I would have taken them, but they're not really worth the work. Not enough flavor. Who wants to cook? I don't cook. And they have no hallucinogenic properties or anything. So what's the point? But it was funny how the coincidence of my comment played out. And that actually happens to me a lot. Like my Willem Dafoe story. My Willem Dafoe story, because I'll be quick here, because I'm already running out of time, is that I used to see Willem Dafoe, the actor, around my neighborhood a lot when I lived in the West Village. And then one summer when I was living there, I went off to work in Maine in a hotel in the woods. And I had one day off a week. And on the night before my day off, I watched a movie. And the movie was called Basquiat, which is about that painter, Jean-Michel Basquiat. Okay, so I'm watching the movie with a bunch of people in a room and Willem Dafoe makes a cameo in the movie. And I say to the people around me, huh, Willem Dafoe. I used to see him around in my neighborhood a lot, but I haven't seen him in a long time. We watch the movie. We go to bed. We get up early the next morning. We decide to go hiking. We go climb a mountain in New Hampshire in the White Mountains. We're coming down the mountain, walking down the trail toward the car. And we see a group of people walking toward us. And as they get closer... Guess who's hiking on the same trail as me in New Hampshire? Yeah, Willem Dafoe. Anyway, this show tonight is not about mushrooms and it's not about Willem Dafoe. Because so far, foodiness hasn't really gotten its spiny claws into either of them. I mean, I can't even really think of a foodiness mushroom product yet. Probably because nobody would buy a mushroom protein bar or grill shroom dogs or eat mushroom enhanced peanut butter. Although, actually, I shouldn't be giving those ideas away for free. Somebody from Unilever could be listening. And actually, all of those sound like things that I might eat. I have to think about that. So I'll get to the point, which is that this show tonight is about chicken. After finding those chicken of the woods mushrooms, I started thinking about the name of them. And I started thinking about chicken. The mushroom got that name because its flesh is kind of white and stringy and looks a lot like cooked chicken breast. And the bright yellow and orange color of it kind of looks like chicken color on feathers, too. Kind of chickeny. But it's not a chicken. It's a mushroom. A fungus. A mycorrhizal fruiting body, if you want to be totally correct. A chicken is a bird. It's shaped like a bird. It has wings and a two breasts and two legs and it can fly but most don't because their breasts are too big to fly which is usually not considered a problem in the human realm especially if you want to get cast on a dating reality show or as a dancer in a rap video but for birds it's a problem if your breasts are too big and that's what chicken is so why do we name things for it like chicken of the woods or chicken of the sea i mean this is where the joke it tastes like chicken comes from. Do you know why I know this? Because the term, it tastes like chicken, actually has its own Wikipedia page. But I don't have my own Wikipedia page because my co-producer, Chris Nutter, hasn't written it yet, even though he keeps talking about it. So, Chris, will you please write that for me? Thank you. Also, Chris, who likes to fill me in on all things gay, tells me that 
The word chicken is old school gay speak for really young gay men. Like young gay men under 20 are called chicken. I did not know that. That's what I have him for. So now we name things of it and we make endless, endless foodiness products out of it. Like chicken sausage and chicken hot dogs and chicken bacon and chicken nuggets and chicken fingers and chicken patties and McBites and dinosaur shapes and numbers and rings and loaves and deli products. And of course, even further down the rabbit hole, we have veggie products created with artificial chicken flavoring. And what the hell is chicken in a biscuit? There's some kind of cracker. Chicken in a biscuit. What is that? I mean, foodiness has totally raped chicken. Now, of course, chickens have big breasts, so maybe they were kind of asking for it. But foodiness has given us a chicken bonanza. What is next? Chicken bananas and chicken shampoo and chicken snow tires? Actually, I really shouldn't be giving these ideas away for free. I'm going to have to market those myself. The point is that we're not talking about real chicken. We're talking about a million different extruded and processed and pressed and industrially produced other things made from a slurry of something that may or may not have even started out as the original bird, but now is really, really, really not that bird. Kind of like how Whitney Houston started out as this gospel angel-voiced pop singer. And wound up as a crackhead who sounded like a tranny you'd meet at a club at 10 in the morning on a Monday. Or the way Marlon Brando went from being this gorgeous Hollywood god and wound up a fat drunk who was always in court over something horrible his son did. Or Elizabeth Taylor's turn from Cleopatra and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof to pills, wigs, wheelchairs, and being Michael Jackson's pretend girlfriend. What happened to Chicken is kind of like that. And now, thanks to foodiness, it's this hydra-headed chicken monster splitting off into a million different chickeny products, but no actual recognizable chicken parts, like a wing, not a boneless wing. You can't have a boneless wing. It doesn't work. A boneless wing would be a flipper, maybe? I don't know. All those parts have kind of been put through the de-chickenizer machine made by Monsanto and then sold to McDonald's to produce this generic, white, all-purpose protein paste, sort of like Jennifer Love Hewitt is to Elizabeth Taylor. So removed from actual chicken that I think people may not be able to recognize the chickens when they finally do come home to roost, so to speak. And they will. Please refer to my recent show, Armageddon's Coming, what's for dinner. So it's like the poor chicken has somehow lost control of its own name. It's like way back in some desperate dark moment of its career, early on when things weren't going so well in the hen house and the future looked dim for the career of the species, when the cost of a whole roaster chicken for Sunday dinners was just too high and people ate way fewer chickens than they do now, the chickens got together in a moment of desperation, had a meeting with a slick shiny-suited Hollywood lawyer who promised them eternal fame and youth and stardom if they would just simply sell their name to the devil or to Tyson. That's all. Just your name, he said to them, as he imagined chicken chip cookies and chicken-flavored yogurt pops and prescription-only low-cal chicken-flavored diabetes drinks. Now, who doesn't love chicken? You never really met anyone who's like, I don't like chicken. I hate chicken. Except maybe vegans, but they're not worth the effort. So it was probably a natural target 
for foodiness. You can definitely find people who don't like mushrooms, the food, not the hallucinogen. But everybody likes chicken. If chicken had a Facebook page, it would have billions of friends. I guess foodiness picks foods the way like Hollywood picks child stars. They want a kid everyone will love, like Macaulay Culkin. Who didn't love Macaulay Culkin? But after they sold him to us in Home Alone, he wound up sleeping in the same bed as Michael Jackson and getting arrested a lot for possession, as if possession is a crime. But that's what happened to Macaulay Culkin when he sold out to Hollywood, and that's what happened to Chicken when it sold out to foodiness, when it made its deal with the devil. And the more we can spread the name around, the less people will identify it with those actual messy, noisy, pooping animals, and instead with a nice, clean, frozen, tidy little nugget. So no trace of animal is left anywhere on or in it. People will eventually forget all about the bird called a chicken and just think of it as a a substance called chicken, a material called chicken. And it's worked because now chicken doesn't even mean chicken anymore. I mean, what actually is it? Is it the bird or the nugget or the flavor in the canned soup? Is it a sausage, a dog, or a burger? Chicken's been turned into all of these things. What chicken really needs now is a good branding consultant and a good trademark attorney so they can get their name back, get their good name back. If everything else is called chicken of the blank, then what's chicken anymore? Is it a bird or is it an industrially produced, bird-like, artificially flavored paste? I think I would call it chicken-esque or maybe chick-tastic or how about chickstance? It's like Soylent Green, not made of people, but barely made of chicken either. And in the industrially produced food-like product, adaptable and malleable to any speck or shapes or flavors or textures you so desire. Yeah, it's a lot like Soylent Green or maybe it's more like Flubber. We're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, let's talk about Flubber. Oh, that was a very quick break. Welcome back to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. We're talking about chicken or what used to be chicken tonight. So do you remember Flubber? Now, it depends on whether you're over 40 or really almost over 50 because it came out so long ago. If you're not and you don't remember, and I'm not talking about the remake with Robin Williams. I'm talking about the original. Here are the cliff notes very quickly. In 1961, Disney made a movie called The Absent-Minded Professor about a scientist at a college who invents a substance called flubber, which stands for flying rubber. It's rubber that gains energy when it's thrown against a hard surface, so a ball will bounce higher on the second bounce than the first. Now, in the movie, the absent-minded professor uses it to make basketball players bounce higher and to make himself into a better dancer, and all sorts of hijinks ensue, and eventually Flubber is sold to the government. And that's the end. They don't tell you that the government would then go on to use it as a building material, as a weapon of mass destruction, and of course, the inevitable, as an industrial food product. Because once we use things as weapons of mass destruction or as building products, what's left except to eat them? Now, I made that last part up, but only because the movie ends with them selling it to the government. But what else would have happened? 
All those military industrial complex technologies and materials wind up as some sort of edible product eventually. I mean, you get the right combination of food chemists and marketers together and you can make anything edible. Well, it turns out that in the sequel to The Absent-Minded Professor, which is called Son of Flubber, the professor goes on to invent flubber gas, which can change the weather. But it also shatters glass. Little, little side effect. Now, some farmer, however, testifies in the case against the glass shattering issue that the flubber gas has, call, has caused his crops to grow extra large. And therefore, even though it's a dangerous chemical, it's still a winner because it makes for really big crops. Hmm. That actually sounds oddly familiar and prescient. And then in 1997, Flubber was remade starring Robin Williams in a film so awful that I can't even go into it, even though I never actually saw it. I just assume that it's awful. It's the chicken McBite of movies, basically. Now, in 1996, Eddie Murphy did remake The Absent-Minded Professor, but they called it The Nutty Professor. In that, he played a morbidly obese scientist who invents a substance that can make people instantly thin. Now, it turns out that Eddie's character was obese, but in the old-fashioned way, from eating lots of straight-up junk food like candy bars and eating lots of fatty real food like fried chicken. So it all comes back around to chicken. And, of course, to trannies. Because one year later, Eddie was caught giving a tranny a ride home in his car. But the point was, Eddie's character got fat off of too much fried chicken, not off of pre-microwaved omega-3 enhanced McBite bars. So where am I going with this? Well, I was trying to think of like an industrial substance, an ooze, a paste, a slime, a slurry that I could compare chicken-esque with. Flubber kind of just popped into my mind. You start with a basic natural substance like rubber or chicken. You add some chemistry to it and you wind up with a malleable, stronger, more resilient and way more multi-purpose substance than the original. Flubber was better than rubber. Chicken-esque is way better than chicken. No skin, no wings, no feathers, no head, no legs, no peeling, no cooking, no utensils, no napkins. It's like calling a friend to say happy birthday on the phone and catching up with their marital issues and their financial problems and then actually sending them a card in the mail and a real gift and all of that mess that goes with having an actual friend and doing birthday things for them or sending them a Facebook happy birthday and just calling it a day. It's so much easier and you don't have to hear about their husband's impotence or their Botox accident. That's chicken-esque. And like Flubber, chicken-esque has, spin- has spawned spin-offs and sequels. I think the patty probably came first. The chicken patty. I think that came first. Then the finger. Then the nugget. Now, in fairness, real chicken fingers are just fried chicken tenders. The tender is the little strip of meat that attaches the chicken breast to the rib cage. Nothing wrong with a good chicken finger. Despite the title of this show being Eat Chicken, Not Fingers, which is just a good excuse to bring cannibalism into the episode because I haven't talked about cannibalism in a while. Chicken fingers really were just made of chicken, but nuggets at first were supposed to look like chunks of chicken breast, like cut up chunks of chicken breast, even though they never were. They were always made from a paste of mechanically separated chicken pink slime and butane and fillers and gels and soy slurry and preservatives and 
all kinds of chickeny flavor dots. And then I think we just threw away that whole pretense of let's pretend it's a piece of uh, chicken breast, that whole charade. And the nugget took on a whole new repertoire, a whole new realm of shapes and designs like dinosaurs and alphabets and teething rings and spirals and smurfs. And now we're so far down the rabbit hole with chicken that if you put a whole raw chicken in front of someone today and ask them to cut it up and cook it or even just roast it whole, what are the chances that they would run away screaming? They may not even know what it is. If all they ever saw was a McNugget or a Patty or a chicken dog, how would they actually know what the real bird looked like? You think I'm crazy? Let me make my point. Young people today, under 30, they don't go out to bars and pick each other up and take them home. That's considered inappropriate. They meet online or not at all, and they just have cyber relations because that's all they've ever known. So if people aren't picking each other up at bars and on the streets and have to log on to their device, then I can bet you there are people under 30 who can't recognize a whole chicken. And you know, my day job, I don't just do this radio show for a living. I have a day job, and my day job is that I teach at a culinary school. And after 14 years of teaching at a culinary school, I can tell you that even those poor souls who think they want to be chefs are often still stymied by the whole chicken. Even at the end of the program, they still can't cut up a whole chicken. Now, when I was a wee girl growing up on Long Island in the 70s, that's how we got our chickens. We bought them whole in the supermarket. Maybe we would buy quarters. Once in a while, we'd buy a pack of legs. But I knew how to cut up a whole chicken by my teen years. And I certainly knew how to roast a damn chicken. It's not brain surgery. All you do is buy a whole chicken. If you don't know what a whole chicken looks like, you can Google it. It sort of looks like a silicone breast implant with little wings and legs sticking out of it. Then you take that whole chicken and you put it in a shallow pan or a baking dish. Make sure, though, that you take out the little bag of organs inside. You always get a little bonus bag of all the chicken's organs. If you were a really serious cook, you'd use them for something, but just throw them out. You may find it kind of gross at first, a bag of organs, but you can think of it as training for the post-apocalyptic world where there'll be no more protein bars and wrappers and no more chicken patties. And trust me, you'll be so hungry, you'll probably eat the organs if you found a chicken in someone's backyard in Brooklyn. You'd be ripping those organs out with your bare hands. You'd be so hungry. Take your chicken, pat it dry with a paper towel, throw on some salt and pepper, stick it in a 400-degree oven. That's it. That's all it takes. You could even put some butter on it. If you've been listening, especially to my recent episode, Believe in Butter, you've learned the ultimate chef secret trick, which is just put a bunch of salt and butter on anything, and it'll taste really freaking good. Now, you don't even need to be freaked out about doneness and temperatures and everything with your chicken. You don't have to cook it to the extreme state of doneness that the government thinks you should cook it to or tells you you should cook it to. You want it at about the 160 to 165 degree range in the thigh if you bother with a thermometer. But basically, when it's nice and golden brown all over and you can wiggle the leg pretty easily, it's done. That's it. You think your great-great-grandmother was sticking thermometers in her birds? Take it out of the oven. Let it rest for about 10 minutes and then attack it. You don't even need a fork. Just pick it up and bite it. Okay? You don't have to cut. And for flubber's sake, when you have that raw chicken in your kitchen, don't wash it. I don't understand why people think they have to wash their poultry. 
All you're doing when you wash a raw chicken is spreading any bacteria that may be on it all around your sink and all around your your kitchen and everything you touch. Anything on the surface of that chicken that you're afraid of is going to die in the 400 degree oven that you're cooking it in. So stop washing your chickens, America, and especially not with antibacterial soap like Chris said that they once did on an episode of the Beverly Hills Real Housewives. They washed a chicken with antibacterial soap. Don't do that. Unless, of course, you want to use my new patented chicken wash made with real chicken. Also available in organic for triple the price. Available on my website, letsgetrealshow.com. And now I'm running out of time, but I need to bring up a very, the very delicate and sometimes uncomfortable subject of race. Yes, race. Black and white. Ebony and ivory. Moors and Christians. Early Michael Jackson versus late Michael Jackson. Brooklyn Spike Lee versus Park Avenue Spike Lee. What I'm really getting at here, people, is that the touchy and very fraught subject of dark meat versus white meat. I truly and honestly do not understand why, when given a choice between a chicken breast and a chicken thigh, anybody would choose the chicken breast. Now, unless you can cook it perfectly, which you probably can't, I can, but you probably can't, That white meat on your chicken is going to be dry and probably overcooked. You need to actually undercook your chicken breasts in order for them to taste good. And nobody will because people think that a slightly pink chicken breast equals instant death. But it doesn't. You can undercook it. You can leave it pink. But chicken thighs, chicken thighs are so good and they're so forgiving of overcooking. And I can hear you right now in your mind playing back that endless feedback loop we've all been hearing since the 70s and the 80s, which is eat white meat, eat white meat. It's leaner, less fat, better for you, less cholesterol, white meat, skinless, boneless. Well, just stop right there. Tell all those nutritionists from the last 30 years to just shut the hell up. Dark meat poultry is infinitely better for you. It has a much higher mineral content. It's a better form of protein. It just tastes better for you. The fat content is minimally higher than the white meat, but it's minimal. And eat the skin. Chicken fats are really good for you. Forget everything you've been programmed to think since the fat-phobic early 80s and start eating the chicken skin and the dark meat. It's time to embrace the dark side and the fat and the skin. Do it. Your ancestors ate it, and you should too. Cross over to the dark side. Carol Ann, run away from the light. Now, Chris, my co-producer, you know Chris, I've talked about him, says that he eats white meat only. And that's because he grew up in the South, in the segregated South, and it was a cultural and socioeconomic thing. White people ate white meat and black people ate dark meat. It signified your race and your socioeconomic standing. As if your pasty white ass doesn't do that for you. I don't know. My olive-skinned Jew family, we ate a lot of dark meat. We knew what was good. But then we know that Jesus was a black Jew. So it's kind of in our blood. Not those like dyed blonde, nose job, sort of fakey goyish Jews. 
I don't know what's in their blood. I guess I'll find out after Armageddon because we'll probably wind up eating them first. And, of course, you know what they say. The darker the berry, the sweeter the juice. I'm just saying, if you know what I mean. So if you're going to buy chicken parts only, just parts, I say get thighs. Bone-in, skin-on thighs. Best part of the chicken. Same thing. Pat them dry, a little salt and pepper. Throw them in a hot pan, skin side down. A hot pan with a little oil in there. A couple minutes on each side. Get them crispy golden. Throw them in the oven for 10 minutes. You're done. Or just put them in the oven in a baking dish. 20, 30 minutes, some olive oil. Maybe throw some baby carrots in there, some garlic. Fuck the boneless, skinless chicken breast. Can we just stop with those already? Can somebody please tell all those outdated, ill-informed people out there to chuck the breast and get real about chicken? Now let's get real here. Foodiness chicken in the form of patties and nuggets is extremely convenient. I know that. Real chicken, kind of inconvenient. But step one toward getting real with chicken is when you go to the grocery store, you buy either a whole chicken with all of its parts, or at least you buy parts that look like they came from the bird, like wings or legs. If you buy a chicken that has at least one recognizable chicken part, then you're ahead of the game. No more processed chicken-esque products for you, right? You remember back when we were all at foodiness re-education camp, when we all swore We'd only eat bacon that came from pigs, not turkeys, and hot dogs made from beef or pork, but not chicken and vodka that didn't taste like cupcakes, but like rubbing alcohol like it's supposed to. Well, no more processed patties, nuggets, McNuggets, fingers, lumps, chunks, pucks, sausages, or dogs, or veggie burgers that taste like chicken for you anymore either. You only want to eat animals that look like animals. So that's a really good first step, eating only the real food, slaying the foodiness chicken hydra head. But now I have a Heritage Radio host contractual obligation to tell you that you also need to think about the quality of your chicken, how it was raised, what it was fed, where it came from. Of course, my promise in Let's Get Real is that you can get real at the Mega Mart, at the supermarket, no chicken coop required. And that's true, but there is teeny tiny fine print in my contract here in regards to what foodiness has done to real food and what I have to talk about. For starters, I would like you to go back and listen to my egg show from a few months ago called Cage Free, Smage Free. It's episode five. In that, I go into all the complicated stuff about organic versus conventional and free range and free roaming and all of that. I was talking about eggs, but it applies to chickens too. All of that hiking last weekend has made me too tired to get into it here. And I'm running out of time. And I tried to put it all in here, but I fell asleep just thinking about it. So... In an eggshell, here's what I want you to do. If you want to be really real with chicken, as in real enough for an orthorexic like me to eat, the ultimate gold standard for your chicken would be if you found a farmer. You find a farmer or you raise them yourself and you pasture your chickens. That means they spend all day running around eating bugs and grubs and manure and grass and seeds. They get nice and fat. They have good muscle tone. They enjoy their chickeny existence. They fertilize the pastures and then they make the ultimate sacrifice so that you can then eat roasted chicken while you sit home and tweet. Below that, you could buy organic chickens now at most supermarkets, but they're going to be grain fed. They don't eat poop. They don't eat bugs. They eat grain. You want the poop and the bug-fed chickens. Organic is to get good too, but the USDA Organics Program is a total sham, and you wouldn't believe what they're letting into organic things 
these days. And it gets me so crazy and despondent and confused that I don't know what to eat anymore. And I'm getting more and more orthorexic by the day. Now, this is where if you want to keep eating chicken, you should probably stop listening. But I am running out of time. So I'll sum it up really quickly. How to get real with your chicken. When you want to buy a chicken, buy a whole chicken or something that has parts. If you can, raise your own. Seriously, totally unrealistic. What are you going to do? Raise them in your bathtub? If, if that's not realistic, buy pastured. That means you go to a farmer. You go to a farmer's market. You join a CSA. If you can't do that, you buy organic. And stop watching The Real Housewives because you're kind of embarrassing me by doing that. Now, I think I'm going to end it here. And I'm just going to go back out into the woods this weekend. And I'm going to find myself a big old chicken of the woods mushroom. And I'm going to grill that up. And I'm going to eat that. And I'm going to then curl up and take a nap and dream of black Jewish Black Jewish Jesus meeting Michael Jackson in the afterlife and marrying him to a chicken. We're out of time. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Let's Get Real. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our programs archived on our website or by searching iTunes for Heritage Radio Network. You can find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website. Thanks for listening.